Good morning. You can be seated. Kids can be dismissed uh, back to class. So we're wrapping our series up this morning, uh, Speaking of Jesus. It's the uh, 11th sermon in the series. And next week we're going to kick off uh, some stuff on Advent. And we're really excited about some really cool stuff coming uh, with Advent. Reading, uh, daily social media stuff, and, and a, lot of, a lot of good opportunities for us to, to walk slowly together uh, to, to the manger where Christ was born. And we'll, we'll begin that series next week. Um, we're going to wrap this one up, though, today. We're in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, kind of the, the back half of, of that story. So uh, let's, let's pray, and then we'll try to recap what we've seen so far and then get into the message for, for today. God, thanks so much for, uh, for today. Thank you for this opportunity for all of us to gather together to, to hear from you, Lord. Uh, I pray now that you would um, guide our thoughts, guide our... Uh, just, just guide our attention, Father, and, and draw us into your presence and, and speak your gospel over us today. We, uh, we thank you so much for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Um, so the, the entirety of the series, the vision, the, the purpose, the idea behind the series is, is to push us uh, to do two things. One is to engage with the gospel and then two is to, to take that engagement with the gospel into our world and begin to have conversations about Jesus. I've used this phrase circles a lot during this, this series. And, and what I mean by circles is uh, the, the places where God has given us voice or influence or opportunity to, to proclaim the message of the gospel. And, and many times I've, I've asked you to, to kind of think of an individual person that you really feel like you have a unique place, unique, unique authority, unique voice into their life. They're willing to hear what you have to say on things. And those are your circles. And also your circles are like where you work with, uh, your family, your community. Uh, you have unique opportunity to speak to your neighbor that I don't have. Um, so those are, are kind of your circles. So the, the whole big picture of this series is for us to engage with the gospel and then for us to, to be encouraged to live out our life on mission to speak the gospel into those circles. And I've kind of broken it up into three different, adi- three, three different categories. First is, is to know the gospel and then to love and serve people and then finally to listen and tell stories. Um, so that's the, the big the, the three big main ideas, to, to know the gospel, to love and serve people, and then to listen and tell stories. So the first four sermons, we talked about that first one, to know the gospel. We said in the first ser- series, our sermon in the series is, we were once enemies, we've now been reconciled to God. And that's, as I've been thinking through, processing through this sermon this morning, and I wanted to kind of give a recap of the first ten sermons, I, I'm, I'm overcome by this, like, it's, it's a quick snapshot, memorable, memorable phrase that I want to bring to you for each one of these sermons that we've talked about. But to think about the, like we've been reconciled to God. We were once enemies far off. There was a, a dividing wall of hostility between us and God and, and all these different war metaphors that scripture uses. But because of Christ, we've been reconciled to God. And I don't want to like breeze past that idea. We have relationship with a holy and wonderful creator God who is magnificent and beautiful and amazing. And we have relationship with him because of Christ. And that is the essence and beauty of the gospel. 
Uh, so, so in my speed going through these, don't miss the beauty that is behind it. Uh, in the second sermon, we talked about out of Revelation 4, when, when John goes into, he, he, he's in the spirit and he gets to actually visualize Christ and visualize a, a resurrected and, and holy Christ and seated at the throne of God and, and he's stunned by it. And we talked about how, how we are created to be stunned. And I want you to, to consider that. Like when you see something stunning, we want to stop and pay attention to it. We want to tell people about it. Like we were created, you were created to crave that which will stun you. Um, there's artistry all over this world. There's, there's beauty. There's even technology is, is stunning. And we were created to be stunned. And there's nothing as stunning that, as, as Christ himself. Uh, the third one, the third sermon in the series is, is maybe my favorite, the, the essence of it. Uh, it's, if you remember, it's the woman who's been caught in adultery, like caught in the middle of adultery. Um, likely nasty because of it. And she, she's put, Jesus is, is preaching, very similar to where we are right now, uh, a woman brought to Jesus in the middle of a, of a church service, um, caught in adultery, and, the, and those around Christ want to trap him to try to convince him to condemn her. But the beautiful news, the scandalous love of Christ says, I don't condemn you. And look, I, I want you to hear me today. Wherever you are, what's ever going on in your world, Christ looks you in the face and says, I don't condemn you. That's, a, that's an incredible thing. Um, the fourth sermon is uh, Dave preached it, and it's, it's about uh, the, the lukewarmness of, of our love. And Christ is calling us to be hot in our passionate love for him and to follow him hard and fast. And to take that idea, the way we're called to love him and into our culture, to love people in that same regard. The fifth one, the truest picture of God resides in Christ. That, and, and Christ was always on his mission. This is the next kind of several sermons in, in the series were, were kind of based under this notion. Jesus' mission when he came to this earth was to go to the cross to live a perfect life and die a perfect death and then resurrect that. That's his mission. But along the way, and this is kind of the heartbeat of the, of the series, along the way, following out the mission that he was on, he was always, every time, pouring out of his character of love, pouring out of his character of, of sacrifice, pouring out of his character of service, and that's just who he was. So he never swayed from his mission, but he always lived out of his character, and his character was to love, to serve, to sacrifice for who he was and for those that were around him, to kind of earn that right to speak into their lives. Uh, the sixth one, Jesus served expecting nothing in return, and this is our call. Let me, like, very simply the call for your life is to serve those in your circles expecting nothing in return. Um, Dave's already talked about affordable Christmas coming up. This is a beautiful, perfect opportunity for us to serve in our circles. These people live in North County. We get a chance to engage them and, and expect nothing in return and then attempt to continue to build a relationship with these people to continue to, to serve and love them as Christ did because he is our model. 
the eighth sermon, same idea. Jesus showed hospitality and commanded us to be hospitable. And we have sort of like our cultural Webster definition of hospitality is different from the scriptural ref- definition of, of hospitality. Ours is just be nice to people, invite them in, do things for people. That's, that's hospitality. Someone that we know is very hospitable. But this biblical definition is to be that to strangers. And, and I think that, like, I am really guilty of that, and likely we are really guilty of, like, I'm, I'm fine being hospitable to, to Joe and Sheridan. I'm fine being hospitable to Rick and Kathleen. I'm fine being hospitable to those that are in my circle. But Christ is calling us to go and be hospitable to those that are strangers to us, um, those that we don't know well, those that maybe make us a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and likely that makes you uncomfortable. The ninth sermon in the series was God cares about you and he wants you to tell him your story. And, and pressing past that is God calls us to go and do that, to listen to stories of people and, and to hear and feel their pain and feel their hurt. And this is a perfect opportunity for us. There is a lot of people wearing their pain and their hurt and their confusion and their story on their sleeve, and it's a great opportunity for us to engage with a a world that desperately wants to tell their story, and Jesus is calling us to listen to stories. I think it's, it's one of the more important ideas for us as we engage with this idea, to know the gospel, to serve and to, to love and then to listen and tell stories. And then the last one last week was to know your story and tell your story. Um, knowing your story presses the gospel into us. And telling our story presses the gospel through us. So that's the, kind of the, the, the quick version of the sermon series. You could have saved the last ten weeks and, and just been brought up to speed perfectly with that. Uh, John chapter 4. Turn there if you would. And let's dig in. We're kind of... a uh, seeing the, the second half, the back half of this story between Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, background here, Jesus is, what's happening here is the perfect illustration for, like, if, if we fully engage what this sermon series is trying to do for us, this is what will, will come of us. We'll act just like Jesus here in this verse. Um, in this, this story. So in the preceding verses, Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. History tells us that, that Jews are not supposed to talk to Samaritans. They're a race. These are races that, that have racism held against one another, not allowed to engage with each other. More than that, this woman has had five different husbands, and she's living with a man, or a, a sixth man, who's not her husband. And so Jesus is not supposed to talk to her because she's Samaritan. Jesus is not supposed to talk to her because she's a woman. And Jesus is not supposed to talk to her because she's kind of a sinful woman. But Jesus ignores all of that. And I think one of the things that I want you to, to see, and, and I think Jesus is, is calling us to see here in the, the, before what we're going to read happens, is that Jesus has to manipulate circumstances to push people away so that he can engage with this woman. So if you remember the story, Jesus knows he's about to have this conversation and he sends his disciples away 
because they're going to get hung up on the fact that she's a woman. They're going to get hung up on the fact that she's a Samaritan. They're going to get hung up on, on the facts that are true about her life. So culture is dictating the response of his disciples. And many times Jesus presses in against the, the Pharisees, but here he is sending people away up because of the response of his guys. The people that spend their lives walking around with Jesus have to be sent away because the kingdom is going to happen. And like the thing that, that draws my mind to this is I think there's a, a, a deep reality, a, a stark reality, a very real reality that we oftentimes miss the kingdom and the gospel happening around us because culture tells us to. Um, I want to, Cooper, fire that, uh, that triangle up there, buddy. Go back. The triangle. There we go. Uh, this is um, kind of the, the missiology of our church and what we want to be about the, with the gospel on top. And this story of Jesus and the woman at the well and how he had to, he's not supposed to engage with her and he's got to send people away so that he can engage with her is a perfect illustration of what this is about and what this series is about is that the gospel is the only thing that matters. The gospel is the only thing that matters. If we twist this, if we put culture on top, we're servants to culture. And whatever culture tells us to do, we have to do. In this particular instance, culture told them, Jesus, you're not allowed to talk with her because she's of the wrong race. If culture's on top, this conversation doesn't happen. The kingdom doesn't happen. And I think many times... The kingdom is about to happen or is happening around us, and we miss it because we have culture on top. Also, we could have church on top. Church is on top in this story. These guys don't allow Jesus to engage with her because of all the sin that's in her background. Five divorces in this woman's life, and now she's living with somebody else. Religious culture would have said, stay away from this woman. You're not allowed to talk to her. But the gospel has to reign. The gospel has to be pressed deep into us. And, and this is the part, like, I have a deep arrogance about this. Let me confess that. And, and likely you do too. Like, I think I got this nailed. And those other guys, they don't have this nailed. They're dumb. This is the truth. And I think we live in this place. We think we have the gospel on top, but most of the time we don't. Do you know who Jesus had to send away? The authors of the New Testament. Jesus had to send away because they were going to get this twisted. And so we think that somehow we have this, this market cornered on putting the gospel first. We're probably lying to ourselves. We're probably allowing someone to lie to us. Because we, we jack this up. And if, if Peter and John and James, these, like, these guys are, are it. They're the ones that we want to, like, we study their words, their theology to understand who Christ is. And they, in this moment, they don't understand the gospel. And they have to be put, pushed away in order for the kingdom to happen. Does that, like, that scares me. That's, that somehow Jesus might need me to get out of the way. Like, I'm messing stuff up. Preventing the kingdom from happening. That's deeply convicting. It's, it's, but it's, it's a reality that we get in the way of the kingdom happening. Do you see that? 
Um, so let's go to, to verse 31 and, and begin to watch this story unfold. Again, context of the sermon series, speaking of Jesus, this woman begins to speak of Jesus. Um, so all of this stuff has happened. Verse 31, meanwhile, his disciples are urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? These guys just don't get it. There's a preoccupation with a temporary that causes them to not see what's happening right in front of them. They're preoccupied with the temporary. Need, Jesus, you need to have something to eat. And they've, like, the, the gospel is happening. Like, people are going to be saved and brought into the kingdom of God and fall in love with Christ. The whole point of their existence is about to happen, and they're worried about something temporary. Um, you already saw a, uh, the accidental version of Cooper Fire that this happened at a baseball game recently this past summer. Do you guys remember this happening? This is at an Arizona Diamondbacks baseball game, and what's, there's like the point that they like it's a baseball game. Um, I, I know that I may be a little bit different that I go to a baseball game to watch a baseball game. Um, like something is happening. The point of, of why I'm there is happening right in front of me, and I'm preoccupied with something that just doesn't make any difference. And do you guys remember this? Like there's this, the video, and, and pictures were all over the Internet, and, and people were told, like the announcers in this game were making fun of these girls throughout the whole time, and it's just silly, and it's just whatever. But I think... The truth of that speaks to exactly what's going on here in John 4. His disciples. This is like general managers of a baseball game taking selfies. This is what's, what's going on. His disciples have no clue that what is happening in front of them is, is eternity shaking. And they're consumed with, oh, Jesus hasn't gotten enough to eat. It's, this picture is us with the kingdom. We are so consumed with stuff that's temporary that just doesn't matter. But the, the gospel is happening in front of us. The likelihood is someplace in your world, the gospel is happening or about to happen. Flowers of the gospel are about to bloom in people's hearts. And we're consumed with other stuff other than that. We are these sorority girls taking selfies. Um, but Jesus confronts it in verse, he, he begins to, to press through this, but he said to them, I have food that you don't know about. The kingdom is happening around you. So the disciples said, who brought him food? Uh, verse 34, Jesus said to him, my food is through the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Like this is the sustaining thing that you need in your life is to go and be on your mission. If we are to truly model our lives after Christ, the only thing that we need is to live our life on mission. Are you a dad? You've got a very specific mission. Are you a husband? You've got a very specific mission. If you are a mom, a, a wife, a, a friend, a daughter, a son, 
any, if you have all of these things, Scripture gives you very specific missions. If you live in a community, if you have a job, if you go to school, all of these places, God has given you a very specific mission on that target. And the thing that you have in your life that will sustain you is being Christ in that situation. But again, we are many times preoccupied with ourselves. Verse 35 Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? In other words, this is when we're on our mission, living in our circles. At some point, it's going to happen. It's four months down the road. It's perpetually four months down the road. But Jesus, talking about living our life on mission to proclaim the gospel, he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And like our Our culture, our society, our world is begging, begging for you to proclaim a message of hope. Like, there is, in the physical, temporary world, there is hopelessness everywhere for everyone. Our election, the racism that's true in our society, the the privilege, all, just look around. The, like, our culture is begging for someone to, to speak hope into their life. Not optimism. It's not all going to be okay. But hope that will endure past the temporary not being okay. This is the, the, the life of Christ. Because when Christ engages this woman at the well, her, her situation doesn't change. She's still got five divorces. She's still living with a man who's not her husband. There's still sin that's present in her life. The reality is she, her reality hasn't changed apart from hope that's in her. And the fields around us are white for harvest to speak a, me- a message of hope. And then more than that, we're entering into a season right now, next week, on Thursday, there will be people gathering, family members gathering all over the place, and there'll be lonely people sitting in their homes wishing they had something or regretting the fact that they have dysfunction present in their families. And then there's a lack of hope that's around there. The fields are white for harvest. And our job, one of the things that that we're really trying to do as, as your leaders, as your elders, is put opportunities in front of you to engage in your circle, to proclaim the message of the gospel, leaving culture out of it and leaving Uh, church out of it, but instead engaging a person with the reality of eternity, then this is massive for us. It's huge. The fields are white for harvest all around you. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together for there, for here, the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others labored and entered in, and you entered into their labor. The whole, that's, that's confusing metaphors that we don't get because we're not farmers. Uh, but ultimately, all that it's saying is God does the work. We live on mission. We say yes to God and he does the work. Um, that's really, really simple and really life-giving. Because here's, like, I've... I've sat under messages like this and I've thought, yes, that's a great idea. But when the rubber meets the road, when the opportunity for me to to proclaim the gospel happens, several things go on in my brain. Man, the person I'm talking to is smarter than I am. And they're going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. And I'm going to look stupid. 
so I'm going to not say anything. Has anybody ever had that thought? I, I, I still have that thought. I've got a seminary degree, and I still have that thought. Or I just, I just don't have the, like, I feel weird. I feel awkward. Has anybody ever had that thought? But the reality is someone changed by the gospel, someone deeply changed by the gospel, proclaims the message of Christ. And it's not the, the point of, of, of that, asking those two questions, in light of these verses, is to say that it's not your job. What is your job? To proclaim, to speak of Jesus. And what he's done and how he's changed you. That's your role. Jesus is the one who's doing the work. Verse 39. This is incredible. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Like, it's, it's just really, really simple. Many Samaritans, some, a group of people who were predisposed to have racist feelings against Jesus, and Jesus was predisposed to have racist feelings against them. Believe because Jesus pushed aside culture, pushed aside religion, and engaged with this woman, and then sent her out on mission. Like, this is... This is possible here, in you. Do you know that heard this illustration one time. Everything that's necessary for a massive hundred-year-old oak tree is present in an acorn. And everything that's necessary for a huge forest with hundreds of thousands of trees is present in an oak tree. Like, Everything that that we need to have to proclaim the message of Christ, as the Samaritan woman does here, is present in you. That's, That's incredible. More happening here. Again, I want to put this back in front of us. Know the gospel. Love and serve people. Listen and tell stories. This is our call. This is what God is calling us to do. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him... They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So Jesus, on this hillside, engages this woman. She goes and tells her story. These other people listen to her story, and their lives are changed. And then Jesus comes into their culture, and people who should have said, go away, said, come and engage with us. And many more believed because of his word. Uh, Verse 42. This is the conclusion of the story and I think the conclusion of this series this one simple thought they said to the woman the Samaritans are they the Samaritans said to the woman it is no longer because, what of, because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world it is, this is this is really life giving for all of us, as we're being encouraged over the course of 11 weeks and pushing forward into the holiday season, this is incredible courage for you. Did you see what just happened? 
The Samaritan woman told their story and they said, we don't believe in Jesus because of your story. We believe in Jesus because we see that this is the gospel, the reality, the truth. We have indeed heard for ourselves and believe for ourselves that this Jesus is indeed the savior of the world. Do we, like it's not dependent upon your ability to proclaim anything. Our job is to direct attention and then let the spirit do his job. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging? Especially for a, a, a dumb guy like me. Like I don't have to have a, a beautiful, perfect, poetic presentation of the gospel. Or I don't have, this, have to have this incredible scientific proof for the existence of God. I don't have to have every answer to every question. I say, this is Jesus. This is who I was. This is who I am. This is how he's changed me. And there's redemption all over my story. There's micro stories. There's macro stories of the gospel being real in our lives. And then let God do it. It's incredible. It's not what you said, but what we've heard. That's what the Samaritans say. And this is a beautiful opportunity. And we've been praying and pressing and, and having conversations for 11 weeks now to prepare ourselves for what's pressing in front of us and what's in front of us. And, and what's in front of us are white fields for the harvest in a culture that's begging for someone to show them hope at a time and a place where we're open to hear about love and family and togetherness and, and community and Jesus. Do you see how these pieces are just fitting together? Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus didn't have to send us away in order for the gospel to happen? Wouldn't it be cool if we got to be there watching the gospel happen, watching lives such as this woman at the well change because of the beauty of the gospel? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool for in, in March for these chairs to be filled up with people who today are deep in sin, deep in, in, in stress, and, and deep in, in, in a society that, that shuns them? Wouldn't that be incredible to, for these chairs to be filled with people who are telling the story of the woman at the well? Why not? Why not? And the fields are, are white. Um, let's, uh, let's pray and sing, respond to our God. Father, I pray now in this moment, in these moments, God. Lord, I am personally convicted of a failure in what I've just spoken, God. And I am before you and before these people confessing my hypocrisy. God, please forgive my hypocrisy. And God, please encourage me and give me strength to proclaim the message of your truth, Father. Please don't send me away. I want to know your gospel. I want to see your gospel. I want to tell your gospel. Lord, and I pray, God, I pray for each of us, 
Lord, illuminate in our minds, even in, in, in the visual picture of our brains right now, illuminate faces, illuminate circles that you're calling us to proclaim your truth into. God, you are good and you could have chosen any way for your gospel to go out. But in your all-knowing, sovereign way, you decided that us, as your messengers, as your ambassadors, was the way to go. Lord, I pray against fear. I pray against um, insecurity as we proclaim messages of hope into this culture, into this generation. Lord, guide us, comfort us, push us, make us uncomfortable where we need to proclaim your message of hope and truth to this generation who's so desperate for it. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Let me sum it up with this phrase as we jump into response time. And we've said it before, but the very thing that God does to you, he wants to do through you. And so I think it's easy for us to just be consumers of the gospel, which is good and necessary, just consuming the goodness of God and just saturating our hearts with the goodness of God. But as Rick has said, and is biblically speaking, what that does in our hearts, it's like what Peter says when he was, in, was, was being about to be thrown in prison, he's like, I cannot but speak of what I have seen and heard. So as we respond to the Lord, I just pray that this would be just a time of surrender where we would just soak in the goodness of God and that God would do such a profound work in our hearts that we would go from this place to say, I cannot but speak of what I've seen and what I've heard. And listen, that it would be the work of the Holy Spirit in us that would motivate us and use our lips and use our mouth more than it would be a guilt-ridden, well, this is what I'm just supposed to do. Um, so as we respond to the Lord and as we sing songs of proclamation and as we come forward and give to the Lord and celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, may we be saturated with the rich reality of who Jesus is in such a way that we'd go and we could not but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. Would we be in awe of him? And so let's respond to the Lord as he leads.